Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, joined this week by Dave and Russ Hartman. Becky is not on the show this week, having entered COVID protocol on Tuesday. I also tested positive for COVID, obviously. We're feeling okay, um, I'm sure. I know, I know a few of you have sent in some well wishes, um, and hopefully, you know, this remains mild, and Becky should be back with us next week. Uh, on the show today... The Rangers returned from their two-week break with a bang, grabbing a 2-1 shootout victory over the Boston Bruins in a game that was not lacking for dramatic moments. Uh, So we'll take a look at that. We'll also look ahead to the rest of the Rangers season, which features a ton of division matchups, meaning that anywhere from first to fourth place in the Metropolitan Division is up for grabs. A lot to dig into, a little bit of a second half season preview coming your way. And we will also answer your questions, always our favorite part of the show. First, want to welcome in Dave and Russ. Russ, you are back for the third time, I believe. How's it going? How you been since uh, your last appearance here on the pod? It is going well. Things are good. Uh, I have a pretty big job interview next week, so I'm kind of stressing out about that Ooh. a little bit. Ooh, good well, luck. Other than, yeah, good thank luck. You, thank you, guys. Um, basically, uh, so for those that don't know, I work with uh, special education high school students in the New York City high school system, and I have an interview next week that will essentially... Uh, give me a teaching license in seven weeks and it's a nice program that the DOE runs if you have a bachelor's degree in any other subject besides education and you want to be a teacher so I got accepted through the first round of interviews I'm going to the second round and if I pass that and they like me I will have my own classroom in September so I'm praying I'm praying. well we like you so I hope they do too okay yeah, I, I hope so but uh other than other than preparing for the job Otherwise, I've been very good. It's always good to be back, but Rob, I hope you and Becky and your little one feel better soon. Thank you very much, Russ. Really appreciate it. Dave, how's everything with uh, you? Uh, Things are good. I am a little tired, but I feel like everybody's a little tired right now. But, you know, I got a beer. I'm recording with you guys. I'm going to go to bed right after this. I am pretty good. I'm sorry I'm not ornery today for any rants. I'm pretty good. Yeah, hey, listen, you know, uh, especially after Tuesday night's win over Boston, which, first of all, let's just start with, thank God hockey's back. I think, as you said, Dave, everyone's feeling a little bit tired. We're very much in the dog days of winter now, middle of February. Some brutally cold weather uh, came through after some very nice weather over the weekend. That was messing with everyone's psyche, I'm sure, so... We finally get our beloved Rangers back, and after a pretty sleepy first period, they put together a really solid effort and end up beating Boston 2-1 in a shootout. They've now won both their games over Boston this year with one more coming up. Um, Russ, just wanted to get, get your thoughts first on how you thought the Rangers did in this one. Yeah, I I mean, normally the Bruins are a team that I never like playing. For some reason, My basically my entire Rangers fandom so far, they seem to be a team that always gives them fits. But, uh, you know, this was a team without their number one center and basically their number one winger. So you knew the Rangers had to take advantage here, and they did. Let's throw out the first period because for some reason the Rangers have a problem waking up for games, even though we're in February. Uh, Don't understand what's going on there. But if you take that first period out, I mean, it really looked to me like the Rangers outplayed the Bruins. I didn't see the charts this morning, so I'm not sure if the analytics backed that up. But there were times during those, those second and third periods where the Bruins were hemmed in their zone. And I remember specifically there was one play, uh, Artemi Panarin 
just you know he just, he took the puck and just skated in a giant circle and nobody could stop him. I mean they were all over them in the second and third. Uh, they probably deserved to win that game in regulation, but Swayman made some pretty good saves and. I mean, God, what a gorgeous, gorgeous game winner from Keandre Miller. And what a game to shut the critics up from that kid as well. I thought he was, that may have been his best game as a Ranger last night. And I think that may have gotten lost in all of the heroics of Igor. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry, guys, you may have a little bit of that. I do have COVID after all. Um, <laughs> Igor getting pulled by the concussion spotter. You know, we'll we'll dig into that in a little in a second here, Dave. But yeah, I mean, I thought that was Keandre Miller's one of his best games as a Ranger, just kind of all over the ice, making solid plays. And yeah, I mean, Russ, I agree with you. the The Rangers had the puck for I would say majority of the of the second and third periods, and even you know they woke up after about ten twelve minutes in the first. I know they didn't generate a lot of quality. Um, Boston is very good at at um, stopping you from generating a lot of uh, scoring chances. Um, and, you know, Steve Valiquette was saying during intermission that they're the best team in the league at kind of uh, blocking those cross-ice passes that lead to those grade-A scoring chances. So, you know, the Rangers had to maybe settle for a little bit more of a straightforward attack. But, you know, Philip Heedle gets the goal uh, that, that ends up tying up the game in the third period. Huge goal. And um, I thought he had a great game, too. But, Dave, what were your overall impressions from, I guess, first on Heedle, but, but the team uh, in general as well? So... I have to admit, I my attention was divided for the game. I was trying to book flights. I was trying to open a bank account for my daughter. And I looked up after what I thought was going to be maybe, you know, 15, 20 minutes of the first period. And it turned out we were already halfway through the second period. Quick game. And I lost track of time. But Filipino looked awesome in the game that I was actually watching. And, you know, to the... Comments about the Rangers in the slow start. They just had two weeks off. I mean, they were rusty. I'm not really willing to say they came out flat because, I mean, we kind of expected them to. But other than that, this was, you need to beat teams like this even when they're shorthanded. And the Rangers just played their two best games in a row. First against Florida, what seems like 84 years ago. And... uh, where we're recording this Wednesday night. So last night against Boston, those are two teams headed to the playoffs. Florida might be one of the best teams in the East. The Rangers played their two best games against them. Hopefully this bodes well. Yeah, I was was impressed by by Heedle. And I think an interesting note that came out of the post-practice press conference today was, you know, Heedle basically saying that he was not healthy for a lot of the uh, first half of the season dealing with an injury that injury definitely hampered his ability to you know skate create offense do the things that he's good at so I think the two weeks off definitely benefited him um I thought I also thought he was offside he thought he was offside if you go back and watch that goal he did not celebrate at all but he he did turn out to be onside dragged his skate Dryden Hunt got him the puck quick enough before he crossed the line so um all in all I agree with you Russ too that the Rangers you know probably deserve to win the game if not in regulation, you know, overall on the balance of, of play. Now, really, the, the the fun stuff happened in OT, as it usually does. OT was, you know, had plenty of chances back and forth. But then with the Igor Shosturkin, um, you know, being pulled from the game by the concussion spotter. So I wanted to ask you guys first, you know, what was going through your mind watching that? 
whole situation unfold. Uh, Russ, you know, what was your immediate reaction to Igor getting pulled? And then, you know, when he came back in. Well, immediate reaction, I I wasn't sure it was happening at first. I thought maybe Igor, maybe he tweaked something. And like, because my attention was like split for a second. And all all of a sudden I see Jim Ramsey there and I was like, what's happening? And then I finally turned Sam and Joe up and I was like, oh my God, they're really going to pull him with 40 seconds left in this game. And the craziest part of it for me was that he made an amazing glove stop right before that. And they were like, no, 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 now we're going to take you out. Now you don't look good. Even though Igor, to me, looked perfectly fine. Um, someone posed an interesting question on Twitter actually after the game asking um, if there should be a timeout in place until the player does their test so they can jump back into the game. I thought that was something interesting and hopefully the NHL will think about maybe implementing that forward. Um, but uh, focusing just purely on the game, if Georgiev had to do that shootout, I don't know if the Rangers win. Just And not knocking Georgiev because coming in cold to a shootout like that with barely any time to warm up would have been tough no matter what team you're playing against. Yeah, Dave, what, what about you? Where do you and where do you stand on the 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 way the NHL currently uh, implements and executes the concussion spotting protocol, I guess. So, the first thought that went through my head was where is Boomer Esiason and the screw the Rangers button? <laughs> yeah, right, that yeah. was the first thing Classic. that went through my head. Uh, I'm torn on this. Obviously, I hated seeing Igor pulled. And I actually thought it was kind of would have been funny if the Rangers scored in overtime in those last 46 seconds because then Georgiev would have gotten the win. I thought yes. that would have been hilarious. <laughs> that would have been funny, yeah. But how do you allow him to play for another three minutes of game time? And remember, there was uh, about a two-minute scuffle and assigning penalties throughout all that. So it's about five minutes real time where you're seeing this happen and you don't call down. How is that effective for concussion spotting? My issue isn't with taking Igor out of the game. Fine, you got to do what you got to do. But you let him play. You let him play for another three minutes. Uh, Yeah. What the hell is wrong with you guys? Yeah. No, it's a really good point. You, you wonder about the logistics of it. You know, where is, how does word come in? You know, who's the trainer responsible for administering the test? <coughs> Excuse me. But um, the other thought I had was, and, you know, I know that this is the way it is in hockey, but the fact that they were going, you, you, you had Alex Georgiev come into the game under such, strange circumstances, not of the choice of, of his coach or of his team. And he's not allowed to face any shots or take any warmups. Right. And look, I know you can't, you know, send 50 pucks out there and give him a full warmup, but like, I don't see the problem with saying like, Hey, you've got 30 seconds, roll three or four pucks out there and just let, you know, let the end of the bench guys take like a few shots on him just so he can like move side to side and like get his muscles moving again. Because the guy obviously warmed up, you know, the backup always warms up. They split the work probably, what, 60-40 or 70-30 in warm-ups, the starter and the backup. But, you know, at least you see some pucks. You work up a little bit of a little bit of a sweat. You know, but he hadn't, you know, moved. He'd been sitting on the bench for three hours at that point because warm-ups are always 6-30 for a 7 o'clock game. This was about 9-30 Eastern time when all this was going down. You know, to me, you know, let's dispense with, like, the whole, oh, you, we've never allowed goalies to, to take warm-ups if they are entering a game cold, so we can't do it now, like, 
especially under extenuating circumstances, I'd like to see them allow that. But yeah, I mean, great point, Dave, about all the time that went by, you know, in the meantime, as you said, Russ, Igor made an incredible glove save um, in that, you know, two or three minutes of game action between getting knocked over and um, obviously coming out of the game. You know, by the way, the other thing also, and again, there's so much drama here that that kind of unfolded in in a very short space of time. You mentioned the scuffle after the fact. I mean, Alexi Lafreniere and Keandre Miller were the guys who led that effort. Um, And I think there's been a lot of, you know, takes over the years, really, not even about those two players, but just about are the Rangers tough enough? Why don't they come to the defense of their goalie or or of their best players more quickly? Um, That is no longer the case with this hockey, hockey team. They, those two guys, young players jumped right on. It was Zach Smith, I believe, who's a veteran NHLer, you know, tough, Craig straight Smith. line player. And they ripped him right off of Igor Shesterkin and, and Lafreniere laid into him pretty good. So Ooh, nice. I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on the response. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was super nice to see because, you know, like you just said, Rob, the, the whole, the whole thing with this culture shift over the summer and bringing in these gritty type guys and leadership type of guys was to stop things happening like they did last year and seasons before. And you could just tell the trickle-down effect this is having on the culture of the team when some of your youngest guys are immediately jumping in and ripping people off your goaltender. And that alone speaks volumes to not just how the team is playing on the ice and how they come together on the ice, but how things are in the locker room, the things we don't see. Because I'm sure Igor is beloved in that locker room for everything he does. And for a player to take any kind of liberty with him and the split second they do... Not even guys like Barkley, Goudreau, and Ryan Reeves going after them, but Alexi Lafreniere and Keandre Miller, right on the guy, get off our goaltender, let's get back to the game. It was really, really good to see that, you know, the Rangers are, they care about each other, and the vibe in this locker room, like everyone has been saying all year, is night and day from what it's been. Yeah, I, it's so evident. And just in the, the general vibe of the team, too. I mean, the way they celebrated after they ended up winning the shootout, which, by the way, was a lot of fun. You know, when they when they go to six, seven, eight plus rounds, that's when things do get a little bit more entertaining. Obviously, when it's only three shooters and like one guy scores on a wrist shot, you're like, OK, that was stupid. And it seems like a it is a silly way to, to, to decide a game, obviously. But the Rangers have had some really entertaining shootouts this year. You know, Chris Kreider had a had a, an amazing shootout winner against the Devils. Adam Fox had his against the Kings. The Rangers get one from Keandre Miller now. Um, they also got some a couple of beauties from um, Mika Zibanejad and, and Artemi Panarin. And obviously, Igor Shesterkin stopped the last six shooters he faced. So, um, But the Rangers also, you know, Kreider tried the Kucherov move again. I mean, it was just fun to watch. And I think, you know... Th- Igor coming back out on the ice before the shootout was, you know, truly one of those, you know, I would call it like garden mini moments. You know, it's a regular season game, so you you can't give it the juice of a that kind of thing happening in the playoffs or like, you know, um, like a Willis Reed thing. I was about to say Willis Reed. I was about to say that. Well, and that's the thing, right? right? I mean, because of the building and the context and the history, anytime a player who's injured or leaves a game comes out of that tunnel – to an anticipating crowd in a big moment, it's going to evoke that memory. And it is obviously ridiculous to compare it to, you know, a a random regular season game against the Bruins to game seven of the NBA finals in God, 1970, which tells you how long it's been since the Knicks have been good. Um, But yeah, I mean, obviously a really cool moment. And, you know, I think the other thing, you know, Russ, you were talking about the the vibe of the team, but also just the juice in the building now. Um, And it sucks. You know, this was a game I, I was actually planning to go to with Becky then, 
COVID happened for us, but you know, you could just tell the crowd was also pretty sleepy in the first, but they woke up with the team in the second and third. And again, you know, the MSG is jumping for a Tuesday night game against Boston, which is just, there's no other place like it in the NHL when, when the team is good. And when it, when, when it's the type of team that the fans like to watch, which I think this is, um, Dave, I feel like you had something you wanted to jump in and say there. No, I just laughed at the, you know, the Knicks haven't been good in God knows how long. The last time the Knicks were good, I was, and I mean, like, sustained good. I was 10 years old. There's the 94 to, like, 99 run when they were actually good. The prime Ewing era of the Knicks. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Why didn't he dunk that? Uh, That Panarin goal last night was disgusting. Like, that, that was... He did, like it wasn't even that it was a lot of stick moves. It's just the body movement alone. Like, uh, uh, man, Swayman had no chance. Like that, my jaw. Like it's not not many times where like during the shootout where my jaw just dropped. But goddamn, that was that was nice. You know the <laughs> gif. Uh, you know that gif of Shaq shaking his shoulders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's what Panarin pulled. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's good. That's good. No, listen, great win, great way to get back into. The swing of the season and you know if you look ahead of the Rangers schedule and I kind of want to you know just take a, a little bit of a moment so um just to bring you our dear listeners into our thought process you know I, over the last however many weeks you know we kind of been talking about a lot of the same stuff a lot of trade speculation the same six seven eight nine you know ga- uh, names excuse me keep coming up we've seen today and in the last 72 hours the Rangers are connected to every player that you know, we know we'll be on the move from JT Miller to Ben Sherratt to, you know, potentially, you know, a Joe Pavelski or Tom Tomas Hurdle. Um, I wanted to kind of step away from the trade talk, and we will get to some of that in the questions anyway. But I kind of just wanted to take a look with you guys, Russ and Dave, at the remainder of the Rangers schedule. Because, you know, we're, we're now 48 games in. The Rangers are, are currently in third place in the Metropolitan Division, at least as when play began on um on on Wednesday night as we record this um but they have a really interesting schedule coming up and what I wanted to do is just kind of you know I I certainly don't want to go game by game but I I think it'd be uh, a a, um worthwhile exercise to just look at what's ahead for this team and try to just figure out you know what's a realistic finishing spot for them you know given the amount of games they have left and um you know who they're playing all that so let me just uh lay it out here the Rangers have 34 games remaining 19 of them are home games 15 on the road half of those games so 17 of them are metropolitan division games in division games two versus the Caps four versus Pittsburgh three versus Carolina three versus the Devils three versus the Islanders and two versus the Flyers they're done with the Columbus this year they only have one uh what I would classify extended road trip left that's a four-game road trip uh from March 6th to 12th so about a week straight on the road. Um, and there are 15 games between now and the March 21st trade deadline. So given all that information, given what you know about the Rangers opponents and particularly the Metro division, obviously the other 17 games are a random smattering of, you know, mostly Eastern conference teams, but they still have to play. Um, I believe they still have to play. No, they've played Vegas twice. I know they have to play Minnesota again. They've got to play Winnipeg. That's part of that uh, final road trip or one last road trip. So, um, I think, you know, Dave, let me start with you because I know you like to take a look at, at schedules 
um, and, and sort of put a number on what you think a realistic point total is. You know, what do you make of the, the Rangers' final stretch here, and, and where do you realistically see them ending up when uh, they've played their final game on April 29th? So just looking at the standings, the Rangers are third in the Metro behind Carolina that has two games in hand and and four points behind, sorry, one point behind Carolina with two games in hand and four points behind the Penguins, but the Rangers have two in hand. But pe- the Penguins haven't lost in 2022, or at least it feels that way. I don't know what the hell happened to them, but... Th- they yeah. just don't lose. So at this point, unless the Rangers take the majority of the games from the Penguins, so there's four of them, unless the Rangers go, what, 3-1 and one against them, I don't see them catching Pittsburgh. I still think Carolina is the best in the division, which leaves the Rangers third. And I'm really hoping they get Pittsburgh in the playoffs and not Carolina. I think the Rangers match up much better against the Penguins. They don't have the depth. They don't have the goaltending. What was that? I'd be careful wishing for that, though, at the same time, too. The Penguins are kind of scary right now. It's wishing for, what, the Hurricanes or the Penguins. I don't want either one. I'd rather have the Caps, who don't have anything outside of Ovechkin at the current moment. But that's not going to happen. The Rangers are three points up with three games in hand. Washington needs to go on a run. Those four teams are yeah, making and I the think playoffs, also, though. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it's very interesting just stepping out also to the wider Eastern Conference picture. It's pretty much set. Now, there's a little bit of a question around uh, Boston, I guess, as the final team in, but but they would really have to collapse. Who knows? Uh, obviously, they're missing Marchand and Bergeron last night, but I think they're both on their way back. Obviously, Marchand will return from his suspension, but... You know, it's basically a set bracket now with the, as you said, Dave, the Penguins, Canes, Rangers, and Caps out of the Metro, Lightning, Panthers, Leafs, and Bruins out of the Atlantic. Um, Russ, uh, you know, 66 points through 48 games for the Rangers. So they've got 34 games remaining. That's 68 available points. How many points do you think they're getting out of that? And uh, same question as Dave, like, where do you think they finish? Do you think there's a chance they end up in first or second, or are they kind of locked into third in your, in your estimation? I think the, so this team is really interesting to me because we've seen the Rangers look like world beaters at times this year. Um, we've also seen them falter because of, you know, the biggest problem this year has been their five on five play. But this is a Rangers team that just gives me the sense that they could really make a run if they really want to at first place in this division now that's going to be really tough uh especially with carolina and and like dave was saying the resurrected pittsburgh penguins out of nowhere but i do think the rangers have every chance to finish first or second in this division and this is how i see it at least just based on the schedule i think they can take washington those two more times the pittsburgh games are going to be tough but three and one is doable carolina is still scary but if the rangers get the necessary um reinforcements at the deadline and like you know rob you've been saying it so is luker if they can just become moderate at 5v5 just average at 5v5 that changes this whole outlook here devils don't really worry me neither do the islanders same thing with philadelphia if you can take a you know let's say 12 to 13 of those 17 division games left and and of course that's that's a big number and i have a lot of faith in them but 
if you really look at it, I really think the Rangers have a shot, uh, especially if they get, uh, you know, Lekin and Pavelski, any of these guys, to uh, supplement this lineup they already have. Uh, and Igor just playing out of his mind every single time he's in that crease. You know, there's no real team in the regular season that I think, you know, like we've been saying, it can stop. They, they're playing Pittsburgh four times, Carolina three times. I don't think that either one of those teams takes all of them from the Rangers. The Rangers at least get two wins off each of them. And I think the Rangers could very well finish first or second in this division. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the number you mentioned there, Russ, in terms of division games is right. I think they've got to go 12 and 5, maybe 13 and 4 Absolutely. in the division yeah. in order to make up that type of ground. Again, especially with Carolina still having game in, games in hand, although they're playing tonight. Uh, as we record this against Florida, very tasty game there on, on TNT. Uh, see how that one turns out. I mean, you know, look, I, I like to kind of look ahead um, and just pick out some games that I think will be pivotal, you know, on the schedule upcoming. Obviously, the first matchup against the Penguins, that is a week from Saturday, I believe, on the 26th. That's a 3 p.m. game. I know that's I think that's nationally televised ABC game. That's going to be a really interesting one. Um the Rangers have rose to the occasion in those types of games this year. Obviously, the Black Friday game comes to mind. Um, you know, they showed out pretty well on ESPN uh, a couple of weeks ago before the break against Florida. So that Pittsburgh game is one I have an eye on. St. Patrick's Day versus the Islanders. That's a rescheduled uh, game that was, uh, you know, moved because of COVID. I believe that game was supposed to happen in December. Um, look, the Islanders are going to be out of it. But as we know from previous years, when the Islanders were bad or vice versa, when the Rangers were bad and the Islanders were ahead of them in the standings, all those numbers go out the window, especially in a March game when those two, two teams play each other. Those are, you know, special, uh, and very raw, rugged, uh, tough regular season games. So that's going to be a wild day at the garden, St. Patrick's day against the Islanders. Um, and then they've got the hurricanes on April 12th. They have them again on April 26th. So if they can, and those are both at the garden. So, if they can split with the Hurricanes down the stretch in April um, and take care of business against the weaker teams they're playing, I mean, they've got Ottawa a couple times. They've got the Sabres in here. They've got Anaheim coming to Madison Square Garden. They've got the Flyers a couple of times. They've got the Devils. So there's enough landing spots in this schedule that um, I think first or second is realistic as well, but they're going to have to play you know, near-perfect hockey in the division um, in order to get it done. Um what else are you guys looking for? What what do you make of, Dave, of this 15 games before the trade deadline? So, you know, Arthur Staple wrote, you know, as usual, a very strong sort of, you know, 10,000-foot view piece in The Athletic published uh, on Tuesday. You know, he mentioned this the, these 15 games being kind of an important evaluation period for the Rangers as they, you know, look to shore up the roster ahead of the trade deadline. You know what? What are you looking for, and do you think that that's the case, or do you think they kind of have their their minds made up already? I think they have their minds made up about some guys. I think they are looking specifically at Zach Jones to see if he and Braden Schneider can be a third pair, thus eliminating the need for say a Calvin Dahan. Actually, uh, not maybe a Calvin Dahan, but more of a Ben Sherat, which I really hope the Rangers aren't actually in on it doesn't pass the sniff test to me but that I think they're looking at I think they're looking at Philip Heedle I think they're looking at Julian Gauthier I think those are the guys that are from the roster that could be moved for upgrades 
but they're not 100% sure yet. I still think if there is one roster player to go, it's Gautier, but their performance over the next 15 games will determine what the Rangers target at the deadline, and I think that's what he means by that. I yeah, don't think there's anything think else right. to it. I don't think that we should read into it anymore. I don't think they're looking at guys like Ryan Strom or Lafreniere or anything like that. It's those three guys, the guys that are legit on the bubble. Wait, but I thought that we needed to trade Schneider and Lafreniere and three first-round picks to Vancouver for JT Miller, though. That's what I heard, Dave. <sighs> Vancouver has some great weed, guys. <laughs> Apparently. And that fresh Pacific Northwest air. Yeah. Uh, Go straight to the head, apparently. uh, I feel bad for Canucks fans because basically their last good year was when they had A.V. and Luongo. And then they've had a decade of whatever the hell that was. And they're trying to make... JT Miller out to be this amazing player who's going to cost everybody on your roster. And again, Taylor Hall got nothing. JT Miller will get yeah. something, especially if the Rangers are able to get them to re- the Vancouver to retain 50% and then the Rangers get Miller for $2.6 million. Great. That's amazing. I'm okay giving up a decent piece for that. But JT Miller's not my target. I don't want JT Miller. Just because I don't want JT Miller doesn't mean all of Vancouver has to come into my mentions and say you suck. I know I suck, but it's not because of that. <laughs> so breathe, yeah. guys. It's okay, Vancouver. You'll have your moment in twenty. What Taylor years. Hall was? It was a second round pick for Taylor Hall. Second it, round it, pick and a middle six forward. Yeah, and uh, Anders Bjork. Yeah. Oh right, right, right. Okay. Which is like Julian Gauthier in a first round pick because Miller's got another year left on his deal. Yeah. Right. Yeah, which is fine. Um <clears throat> Russ, are there any are there any games or any stretches of the schedule coming up that you are looking at that you kind of see as key or turning points or or just games that you're personally excited to watch? Uh well I'm excited to watch tomorrow because I'll be there against the Red Wings, so that's gonna be a fun Very one. nice. Uh yeah, that's I've I haven't been since I oh, actually it hasn't been that long since I've been there, but it's always exciting to go to the garden. Every time is a blast, so I'm excited to see them play the Red Wings. It'll actually, you know, whenever I go see the Rangers play another team, I do like, obviously, following players from the other squad. So it will be cool to see Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider in person tomorrow. They're very exciting to watch on TV, but I'm sure it'll be great to see those two in person. But in terms of games, though, uh, you know, we have 19 games left in the Garden, 15 on the road. The Garden has, once again, turned into a house of horrors for any opposition. So... Just for me, the fact that we have more home than road left is a very good sign for me going forward for the Rangers if they want to get to uh, higher up in the division because it seems like whenever a team rolls into the Garden this year, the expectation is, okay, the Rangers are going to win. And if they lose, it's legitimately shocking at home. So I'm more happy that not maybe a specific matchup or a specific lineup of games, but the fact that they get to play in their home more in the stretch run leading up to the playoffs. And I think that will be very important for this team. Yeah, I've said this a bunch this year. Even though the Rangers, uh, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses because, you know, their their issues at 5-on-5 have been well-known. There have been some 
I think players that have underperformed this year and they're, you know, I think at various points throughout the season, even through the good results, there's been some, you know, disappointment at the way the team has played and over-reliance on the goalie and acid flashbacks to the, you know, the worst parts of um, being a contender, but relying too much on, on Henrik Lundqvist. Um, I think the Rangers have had a very bizarre schedule this year. And I think that that has a lot to do with that, along with the injuries and COVID, of course, which every team deals with, has had a lot to do with their uneven play, let's call it. They've had a lot of four or five day breaks. They're now coming off a 14 day break. It's good for me just to look at the schedule and see like pretty much playing every other day until the end of the year. I think that will benefit this team just being able to get into a rhythm, get into that sort of hockey player creature of habit thing. You know, you know, you're playing every other day. As I said, you know, that road trip I keep mentioning, uh, it's a four gamer and it starts in Winnipeg. It goes Winnipeg, Minnesota, St. Louis, Dallas. That's not an easy trip. Those are all solid teams. And it's a long, you know, it's a long road trip uh, at, a, at a pretty pivotal point in the season. You know, that's games 56 to 59 for the Rangers. So and that's a lot of travel. <clears throat> uh, that It doesn't yeah. seem like a lot, but that's you're flying across countries, basically. That's a lot. Yes, it is. And um, and I think that that, you know, that is their last big road trip. All of the other road trips that, you know, they've done a couple of West Coast trips, a, a bunch of Canada trips. All those happened earlier in the year. So I do think this is a pretty forgiving schedule, all, you know, all things considered for the Rangers. And it puts them in a good position here. Look, I don't think, knock on wood, we have to worry about them falling out of a playoff race or, or needing to cling for a playoff spot, you know, in the final week or two of the season. But it really is more about looking up and chasing the teams that are ahead of them. So should be really interesting. Um, Dave, do you have any final thoughts on the second half of the season macro view before we get into our uh, questions? I think if the Rangers just beat the bad teams and play 500 hockey against the playoff teams, they'll be fine. And at that point, it's really just a coin flip in the playoffs. And Igor gives them a weighted yeah. coin. That's true. And you never know what could happen with injuries. And obviously that, that coin goes both ways. But it, it is often about when you catch a team. You know, you mentioned, Russ, how hot Pittsburgh is. Maybe Pittsburgh's peaking too early. Maybe they hit a slump. Maybe they lose Latang and Malkin, which seems to happen a lot to them. Not wishing it upon anyone. I'm, I don't root for injuries. But, um, you know, you, you never know how those things might shake out. So, yeah, I agree with you, Dave. And, and that will be a telltale sign, I think, of, you know, is the, if this that'll be sort of the final test for this version of the Rangers, right? Can they reliably beat bad teams and look good doing it, right? Not not Seattle cracking these games where like they get played outplayed badly for fifty minutes and Igor makes forty five saves and they win on a last second shot. You know, show you're a good team, beat the teams that are below you convincingly, and then go toe to toe with the big boys and let the chips fall where they may. I think I agree. That's a good recipe for uh, for the stretch drive here. Should be fun to watch. Um, all right, let's move on to the fan questions. These are always good. We got a, a good amount. I think we have five or six here to go through. So uh, this first one comes from C. Shules. He goes by Charles. This one I actually sent in last week, but Dave, you made sure that we uh, caught it and answered it this week. So I'll, I'll have you answer it first. With the KHL season ending earlier than expected, do you see the Rangers extending an invitation for Kravtsov to return? Or do you see them trading him before the deadline? Or I guess if there's another outcome, maybe he just hangs out in Russia till the end of the year. What, what do you think happens with Kravtsov? So for those that don't know, the KHL basically said they're ending the regular season after the Olympics and the playoffs will begin on March 1st. So 
All this depends on how far Tractor goes in the playoffs. They are the second best team in the KHL right now. And yeah, things happen, but to expect an early out where they would, the Rangers would be able to extend him and offer to come to camp with camp to the, to the team, uh, it's unlikely that he would even be available until April or May at this point. I just given that, and given just what everything that's happened, he's gonna be traded. He's not coming back to the Rangers. I can see Jeff Gordon saying, "You know what." Drury's the one that fucked up this relationship. I want him back, and I want him back at a discount. And he'll get top-line minutes in Montreal. Yep. Russ, what do you think on that Kravtsov situation? Yeah, I'm I'm with Dave and probably almost everyone else here. How, you know, I, I just think the relationship is too fractured at this point. Uh, you know, I wish Vitaly Kravtsov the best in his career, no matter where that takes him next. I just think that with everything that's been said... You know, the, the, the things from both sides now, you're talking about two different coaching staffs at this point. Um, I think it's just better for everyone in the situation to move on. Um, to the point that you guys said how we'd be playing top line minutes in Montreal, yeah, because they have absolutely no one else to fill those positions right now. Uh, I think he'll get a look at no matter what team picks him up, they'll give him a decent look in their, in their top six, hopefully. Uh, you know, it's just, it's unfortunate what has happened in that situation because ultimately we all would have wanted him to be at least a a quality middle six guy on this team who could have chipped an offense and done the occasional wow play but it doesn't look like we're ever going to get to that point and you know people can point fingers all around but it's just a really unfortunate situation that the end will most likely be here soon and he's either going to end up in montreal maybe seattle but somewhere that will allow him to have a fresh start and uh, proper ice time. I was going to say, if you could give odds on Vitaly Kravtsov's eventual landing spot, I would almost guarantee you Montreal would lead the list in terms of the you know the uh, the most likely outcome. They would be like you know minus one fifty or whatever if you're into the whole betting thing, like yeah. a lot of us are now that it's legal in New York and New Jersey. Um, <clears throat> I think he ends up in Montreal too, Dave. I think that there's just it makes too much sense with all of the. History with Gorton, you know, there was a news item today that um, they are looking at Nick Bobrov, the Rangers' former head of European scouting. They're looking at bringing him into Montreal. So, you know, he's the guy who would have made the pick on Kravtsov. Gorton, as you said, Dave, probably sees that as the fault of Drury, ultimately, why that didn't work out. So I think he ends up a Montreal Canadian, and, and we'll see what the return is. You know, he's probably part of, if the Rangers go the Arturi Lekkonen route, he's probably part of that trade, would, would be my guess. Um, the only thing, right, next question. I, the only oh, thing I want to add is if he goes to Montreal and it's for Ben Sherratt, we're going to riot. Oh my oh, god, oh, I man. want nothing to do with that. As long as it's for Arturi Lekkonen or Brett Kulak, fine. Not, not no, 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 no. Kravso for Kulak, straight up. What are you high? No, 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 no. As, as if it's part of a package for those. Okay, guys. okay, okay. Straight up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to fire you on the spot. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not that crazy. I'm not that crazy. Yeah. Um, Yet. All right. So next question is also along the trade uh, side of things. Kind of an interesting way to look at it here. So it's from Calor Commentary, uh, friend of the show. Add minor players. And so uh, it's a choice between two. So uh, which route would you want to see the Rangers go? Add minor players and save assets for what the team needs after the season. So post playoff, when you do that evaluation and, and uh, do more summer moves to remake the roster or 
trade most of the bait now for, you know, a JT Miller type. That's just the example you use, you know, a bigger name player, more of a win now piece at 50% retained, extend Strom and roll the dice, uh, knowing JT Miller leaves in, in a couple of years. So basically the question is go all in now and take two shots at a cup or wait till the summer and go from there and maybe have it be a little bit more of a, um, a little bit more of a, of a, of a process. Uh, Russ, where do you fall on that kind of dichotomy? I feel like we've we've talked about this in the in the Blue Sea Blogs chat for at least once a day. This topic will come up, but I I love discussing it every time because that really is the big question about the Rangers here. How much does uh, management believe in the next season and a half that they can win a Stanley Cup, and that will be the determining factor in how this trade deadline is run by Chris Drury and upper management because if you really believe that this team can put it all together and you know there's there's evidence that they can do that you know you have Chris Kreider scoring out of his mind this year uh you know Panarin's playing well finally playing he's up to that level again Mika Zibanejad scoring again and I mean again these guys aren't getting younger it's not to say they're old but they're you know they're not young anymore either and I'm in this camp where you kind of need to strike when the iron is hot because things can always change in the NHL. There are no guarantees in the NHL. And cap space is only going to get tighter. Uh, things are only going to get tougher when, you know, even down the road when other young guys need deals. I think if you take a look at these next two seasons, um, obviously don't send too much away. But if there is a deal on the table to get like a JT Miller type or a Tomas Hurdle type or, you know, a Joe Pavelski, any of these names we've been talking about. And you can add someone like uh, Lekkinen and you can add someone like Kulik and you can add a, a few, two to three of these pieces that would probably push the Rangers to the top of the conference. That's the camp I'm in. And that's what I think they should do because you're not going to have this much cap space again because they have $35 million in trade deadline space once it gets there. They're not going to have that again for a really long time. You know, no one knows what Ryan Strom's future is going to be at this point. Supplement the guys you have. Show this group that you believe in them and the work they've been putting in this year. Take this season, next season, go for it. Figure it out down there because there are no guarantees in life. Do what you can now. Try to get to that precipice. And if you didn't, at least you took your best goddamn shot at it. How about you, Dave? You taking a more measured approach? So what terrifies me is Drury. I am on record. I have very little faith in Drury. And the go all in with Drury at the helm is absolutely fucking terrifying. I have no idea what to expect. So, And we only have, what, one real trade to judge him on, and that's the Bucinevich trade. And that's a terrible trade. So what do we have to judge him on? That's why I'm terrified of the all-in scenario. But like Russ said, Panarin, Zibanejad, Kreider are all hitting 30 or there already. So you have to win now. And you're never going to have the ability to add base. Right now, the Rangers can trade for an entire NHL roster with all the cap space they have. So you gotta, you have to roll the dice. But I do disagree with this uh, this one piece where extend Strom. No, I don't think you can. 
I think once you make a trade for a JT Miller type, even at 50% retained, you can't extend Strom because he's going to want his market value, $7 million, and the Rangers can't afford that. But aside from that, as long as they don't put themselves in cap hell, then yeah, go for it. Fuck it. I'm changing my tune from a couple weeks ago. Let me ask you something. Strom, Strom, and Rob, you can feel free to jump in on this too. Strom and his agent go to Drury. The number starts with a five. Do you take it? Can I look up cap space for a second? Sure, sure. If Rob wants yeah, to and while <clears throat> while you while Dave does that, what I'll say is, I really love Ryan Strom. I think he's become a uh, a really good Ranger and a true Ranger. You know, I know that sounds ridiculous, but. You know, he, he, he's really grown into his role on this team and endeared himself to the fan, fan base, certainly endeared himself to Artemi Panarin, uh, the rest of the leadership group. Um, that said, there's just something about Ryan Strom where, and I'm going to use um, a really classic, I wouldn't call it old school, it's more of a new school cliche, sports guy, you know, uh, sports fan cliche, but... The question remains on Strom, especially whether or not he's a 16-game player, meaning a good playoff player. Um, now, he could change that narrative by having an amazing playoff run, but then his agent would be doing him a disservice. You know, say Ryan Strom plays, God, if the Rangers make the finals, 23, 24, 25 playoff games and puts up 25 points, his agent would be doing him a disservice to say, all right, now resign here for $2 million less than your market value. Right, because right. some other team that's close and is going to need a center because everyone needs centers, is going to offer him the moon. So it's a very much a catch-22 for me with Ryan Strom, where I don't want to give him a contract until I've seen him prove it in the playoffs. And if we wait for him to prove it in the playoffs, he's definitely going to price himself out of New York. So, Dave, if you want to answer that from a cap space perspective, and, and you know if, his, if he's willing to sign for five and a half, if he's willing to do what Ryan Nugent Hopkins did, you know it's a good question. But um, that for me, there's a big you know, big, big question mark with Strom, and that is his, you know, playoff performance. Whereas, you know, most of these other key guys, maybe with the exception of Jacob Truba, I think we know what we're getting from them in the playoffs. Yeah, so I am still a no on this, even at $5 million. And it's and that's at $5 million and assuming the Rangers trade Patrick Nemeth at some point and clear his $2.5 million. The, yeah, the Rangers can get under the cap next season. But now we're looking at if he's taking five million, he wants eight years. Panarin's contract yeah, is up after four. Yeah. If you're extending Ryan Strom, you're tying him to Panarin and you're cutting them both loose. And I'm perfectly fine with that. If the Rangers didn't have to re-sign after the end of the 2022-2023 season, at this rate, Alexi Lafreniere, Keandre Miller, and Zach Jones. And that doesn't include, uh, and that's doesn't L- include Capocaco. Right? No, Lindgren has one more year. Um, okay, Capocaco is done next year, and depending on how Filipito looks, they may have to resign him too. The Rangers don't have the cap space to make that kind of mistake, and it's not about Strom the player. I like Ryan Strom. I am happy to admit. I was completely wrong. I did not think he was going to do what he did. I thought it was just gonna ride Panarin's coattails, and it turns out Strom's one of the best play drivers on the team. It's going to be a big loss. 
but you cannot re-sign him to either eight years, five million, or four years, eight million. Yeah, because it's, at that point, if you do that, you're, you're you're saying, all right, this is it. Go try this again, and there, you can't do much player movement after that. The, right, or yeah, you have to dump yeah. Jacob Truba or Chris Kreider. Even moving Barkley Goodrow doesn't help you. Yeah, or you're looking at doing like a blockbuster deal that does involve Lafreniere and or Kako, and you're completely changing the makeup of the team moving forward, right? And, you know, look, stranger things have happened. Certainly you see that type of stuff. We talk about this all the time, you know, uh, in our group chat. Those sorts of traits happen in the NBA all the time, right? Teams move on from promising young players for win-now pieces a lot more frequently and with a lot more um, risk tolerance than NHL GMs. The safe bet and safe move for the Rangers would be to uh, hold on to Kako, hold on to Lafreniere, be be deliberate with their development, and don't ask them to do too much too soon. But, you know, um, and it's worked so far, right? They've sort of sheltered them. They, they have not asked them to... They're, they're asking them to be in the top six, but they're not necessarily cemented in those roles, as we've seen this year, for better or worse. Um, it's an inter- it's definitely an interesting question. And the Rangers are certainly at a crossroads this offseason as a franchise, right? It, it very much becomes a, do we stay the course with this, obviously, core of vets, but also core of young players, or do we make some material changes? Um, you know, and, and the problem is, is that the, the, the one-for-one replacements, replacements for Ryan Strom that are out there on the free agent market certainly are not very impressive. So we could talk about this for probably another hour if we wanted to, but let's move on to, we got a few more questions here. This is a good one from Bill to spill asks a question every week. So thank you for keeping the, uh, the streak up there. Um, uh, here it is. Are we at all concerned yet that you can count on one hand, the number of times this team has played well over a full 60 minutes. It just seems like at least one atrocious period is a given. Um, Russ, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be concerning because in the regular season, again, uh, this team, like like we discussed before, they turn it on. They know how to do that. And, you know, a lot of times with that, if they fall behind a goal, they'll have, you know, the refs are not so quick to swallow their whistles in the regular season, so their power play could bail them out most times. It's going to get a lot tougher in the playoffs when penalties aren't always called a lot questionable things happen all the time on the ice and if the rangers go down early in a playoff game against you know an opponent like carolina or pittsburgh and they clamp it down it might be pretty tough to get back into that so you know right now you know we're not seeing it as much of an issue because they're finding a way to win despite not having the nice starts but you want to see them ultimately be on 100 percent once the game starts because in the playoffs it's going to be on forgiving Dave what's your level of concern about the uh, lack of a full 60 yeah it's a legitimate concern I mean we've been beating this drum for a while and the lack of effort over full 60 is basically another way of saying the Rangers are awful at 5v5 and it's you combine the two, you start getting these games, and you're getting a seven game series against Carolina where you're only playing 40 minutes. What well, Carolina in 20 minutes can put up eight goals, yes, even with Sisterkin in net. Carolina's that good. You get a healthy Pittsburgh, an actual healthy Pittsburgh, yeah, they can probably put up four or five goals in a period where you just don't play. That's a problem. 
And I don't know if that's coaching. I don't know if that's personnel. I don't know if it's lack of systems awareness. I don't know if it's because the Rangers came out of a two-week break and they were obviously rusty. It's hopefully when they play every other day for the last two years, for the last two months of the season, we'll see this work itself out. But, yeah, it's a concern. I think the only kernel of optimism I'll offer is their third periods are generally very good. It's usually their best period. They have had some really awful starts lately. Um, now, now look, obviously I'm speaking in general terms here because you can think back to Hank Knight, right? The Rangers came out guns blazing in the first period, looked like they were going to beat Minnesota 6 nothing, and they barely got a shot on goal in the second and third period combined. So, um, look, every game is different, and, and this is definitely a... Uh, it definitely is a concern, but I, I do think in general and over the course of a, of a long season, they've shown themselves to be a pretty good third period team. They don't give up a lot of goals. They usually do have that push in them, which was painfully, painfully absent during the David Quinn era. You know, the type of game where you're down, not even just one goal, but even two goals, right? You go into a third period, you're down three to one, but you're, you know, as a fan, especially if you, you know, if you're optimistic and you, and you, and you have the type of players the Rangers have, you know, you shouldn't look at a 3-1 deficit as a, as a death knell um, because if you get a goal within the first five or ten minutes of the period, it's a, it's a one-goal game and you've got all the momentum, right? So, um, and that, the, in those Quinn years, they were just, could not put a push together even when they were down in a game, even when the other team was sitting back, not really trying to attack, right? That's definitely not been the case this year. The Rangers have had quite a few furious late charges. They've, they've tied a couple of games or come close to tying a couple of games up late. I remember the Toronto game in Toronto a couple of months ago. Um, they really dominated the third up there and almost tied the Leafs up late. I think they end up losing the game 2-1. to one. Even the Minnesota game on Hank Knight, they, they scored with two seconds left and the goal got you know disallowed on a very you know probably bogus call. So the fact that that push is usually there and the fact that their third period is usually their best period does bode well for the stretch run for the playoffs. But, but of course, it's a concern. I mean, especially the bad starts because as Dave said, the worst thing you could do in a swing game of a playoff series is come out lifeless and be down 2 nothing after five minutes, which this team very much, uh, that's very much a possibility with this version of the Rangers, where they just do not get a shot. On, I mean, last night it took them 13 minutes to get a shot on goal. The crowd literally Bronx cheered their first shot on goal. So um, if that happens during a playoff series, especially it's concerning and you know we'll see if, it, if it's fixed. Don't know what the cause is. And that's, you know, uh, certainly driving us crazy, I'm sure, as much as it's driving Gerard Gallant and, and, and the Rangers themselves crazy. Um, next one from Brian, Don Heedle 2.0. Is an empanada a dumpling? <laughs> We're shifting gears here. Sorry, I just, oh, I just dropped whoa, whoa, whoa. that in. Before we answer, I want to give you the Google definition of a dumpling. Okay, there are two good. definitions. Well, there's one definition with a couple of bullet points, and then there's a second definition. And there's a reason why I'm doing this. For definition number one, a small savory ball of dough, which may be boiled, fried, or baked in a casserole. And then bullet point one, in Asian cuisine, a small item of food consisting of a thin sheet of dough wrapped around a savory filling and cooked by steaming or frying. Or a dessert consisting of apples or other fruit enclosed in a sweet dough and baked. Now, the second, it says specifically informal, and every time I see this, I can't help but laugh, uh, a dumpling is also defined as a small fat person. 
I guess by that definition, an empanada is not a dumpling because it's not a short, fat person, so I think we can move on from this question. <laughs> I'm going not a dumpling. Final yeah. answer. In all seriousness, yeah. yeah. I would say not a dumpling just the way a hot dog is not a sandwich. It's not a dumpling. A hot dog is a taco, by the way. It's not a sandwich. It's a taco. <laughs> but a dumpling is not an empanada. Or an empanada is not a dumpling because an empanada it has thicker breading. Whereas this very clearly states a thin sheet of dough. An empanada is not thin. Like, Great call. I like that analysis. Yeah, I like that analysis. Yeah, we, we had to that's right. to Toronto for a second, but confirmed that <laughs> it is not a dumpling. Toronto's on a five-minute delay trying to find the concussion spotter for, uh, <laughs> for, for Brian here because, you know, I'm waiting for next week's question, and it's always food-related. And the problem I have is that whenever we start going into these conversations, I get fucking hungry. And what the hell, man? I, I lost to to sleep too. It's you're going to bed after this. Yeah, I'm going right the fuck to bed after this, and I lost ten pounds since 2022 started. Uh, no, it's not since 2022 started. Probably since like November 2021, and I want to keep it off. And you're killing me here, Brian. <laughs> well, in any event, we look forward to the next food question from Brian or hockey question, whatever you want. Um, Coach Connell, our colleague at Blue Seat Blogs, what is your Mount Rushmore of hockey movies? Now, he is offering some suggestions here. This always colors the discussion. He says, you are wrong if it's not in Mount Rushmore, meaning you have to name four, which, by the way, is a lot of movies. Yes. Uh, it's a lot. But uh, if it's not Miracle, Slapshot, Goon, and Mystery Alaska. Well, um, Connell, you're wrong. Well, there you go. So go ahead, Dave. You have strong feelings about this. Miracle, Slapshot, Goon. Yes, those are all fantastic movies. Mystery Alaska is cheesy as all hell. I like the movie. When I want to watch a cheesy hockey movie, I will gladly watch a cheesy hockey movie. But number four has been and always will be The Mighty Ducks. Period. End of story. That is it. Connell, you are wrong. And if you try, I'm going to make you, you know, record yourself and put it on the blog about how wrong you are. Um... So you agree with Miracle Slapshot Goon, you're going Mighty Ducks. I'm going to go definitely Miracle, definitely Slapshot. Um, I enjoyed Goon, um, but I don't know if I'm putting it on Mount Rushmore. I think, I I mean, I definitely got to go Mighty Ducks. Um, but I might, I, I don't know. I mean, do you, I might even go Mighty Ducks too, because I think both the, both of them are, are excellent. And There are many hockey movies, you know, to be fair. No, There's I was like going to say, I'm like, you know, people are going to want, people are going to want to say like Youngblood. I'll be perfectly honest. I have not seen Youngblood all the way through. I've seen pieces of it. Looks totally ridiculous. A lot of 80s hair fl- flying in the wind in that movie. Um, yeah, I mean, how many more? There aren't really that many more hockey movies. Um, I'm not a big fan of Mystery Alaska, though, either. So, and, and I really did grow up on those Mighty Ducks movies. They're pretty much the reason I think I remained a hockey fan, you know, after my dad indoctrinated me from a very young age. Uh, Russ, what's on your movie Mount Rushmore here for hockey movies? So, yeah, Rob, you kind of you kind of got my, my answer with Mighty Ducks and Mighty Ducks, too. I have a lot of love for those movies. I think they're, they're really great. I mean, you know, we all watched them when we were younger. They hold up well. D3 and... But D1 and D2 are awesome. 
Um, Miracle, I mean, Kurt Russell is incredible in that movie. I, I, I love that movie to death. And, I mean, if, if you're a hockey fan and you haven't seen Slapshot, drop whatever you're doing and go watch Slapshot. Incredible film. But there is one piece of hockey media I'd love to shine a light on. And uh, when I was younger, I don't know if you guys remember this show on Nickelodeon, but it was a show called Rocket Power. And it was about these hmm. four kids. And for those that don't know, they were, like, good at every sport. It didn't matter. Surfboarding, rollerblading, skateboarding, they were all just magically good at all the sports. So my actual first intro to, like, or one of my first intros to hockey was an episode where they're playing a roller hockey tournament down by the beach and the, the grand prize of the tournament, if you win, is a, you get to play a roller hockey game against NHL players. And the three NHL players who actually lent their voice to the TV show, who the group ends up playing as their reward is Martin Brodeur, Luke Robitaille, and the third one is Jeremy Roenick. And that was the first time I ever like saw when I was really younger, like, whoa, this is cool. Who are these guys? What are they doing? And that was part of the the thing that got me super into hockey was just from that like one thirty minute episode of Rocket Power, and I I just thought I definitely wanted to bring that up for that question because it was a really cool episode. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Although I'm docking you two points for the Marty Brodeur shout out there, but uh, yeah, I'm sorry, we'll let I it wish slide. It wasn't, but <laughs> I know, I you know couldn't be Curtis Joseph or Mike Richter, another goalie of from the era. It had to be Brodeur, yeah. Had to be Brodeur. Um, no, that's yeah. <laughs> Uh, look, good question, Connell. Although building a Mount Rushmore out of the very small, you know, uh, stack of hockey movies available, maybe we could have kept with the top two or top three because four four is a stretch. Um, all right, last question before we get out of here from comes from Kevin at Spozo S P O Z O two eleven. You can make one of the following uh, changes two two choices here. One sports change can be made. Either number one, hockey becomes a summer Olympic sport. Or two, the Super Bowl moves to Saturday night. Ooh. Russ. Number two. Number two. Sorry, oh, Russ, yeah. I'm jumping you. Number no, two. No, no, no. Dave, I'm with you. Yeah, the Super Bowl on Saturday night. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. That would be amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Nobody does anything on Super Bowl Monday. It should be a national holiday. I, I was just saying that to the people that came over. Yeah, I was just saying to the people that came over for the Super Bowl, man. Like, oh, it, it has to be. It has to be a national holiday because you know how many people don't go to work the next day or don't feel like going to work the next day? Come on. You know, I want to. I think we are within. I'll say this. I think we're within one decade of that being a reality because the NFL is going to extend the schedule. Right now, they're playing 17 regular season games. That's obviously an odd number, meaning teams are not playing the same amount of home and road games, which for me, as someone who appreciates competitive balance, uh, you do not achieve competitive balance by having teams not play the same amount of home and road games. I think we are very, and, and with all the London and, and international games that they've been working into the schedule, I think we're very close to an 18 game regular season, meaning they would extend this, uh, the schedule by one week, thereby moving the Super Bowl to the Sunday before President's Day, in which case that would be um, a national holiday. Nobody would have to go to work Monday. So I think we're trending in that direction. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll check back within the next like I said, 10 years, but I think, I think that's where we're going with that. The only thing I'll say is this, the winter Olympics are a tough watch, especially this year for some reason. And it has to do with the hours. And, um, obviously the NHL players not participating in the, uh, the men's tournament, you know, the women's tournament, uh, is, is finishing with a flourish tonight. Uh, by the, by the time you listen to this, we'll know the result with the USA versus Canada women's teams. 
you know, that's obviously must-see TV. The figure skating's nice, although all that nonsense with the Russian skater being able to participate even though she tested positive for a banned substance. You know, I just have not had a lot of enjoyment watching the Winter Olympics. And I do think that also in order to make the NHL players participating in a more, uh, make it happen more seamlessly, having hockey be in the summer and then that alongside basketball, that would be pretty special. That would be pretty awesome to have kind of two marquee big time team sports and soccer as well. If you want to throw that in there, three of the the major team sports Um, during the summer Olympics, that would be pretty incredible. Um, And you could almost bank on having NHL players there because that's their break. Although they may not want to, they may not agree to that because they don't, you know, they they need the time off and and they certainly do. So um, yeah, I mean, I do think uh, there's some argument to be made for, hockey in the summertime and also you know we're we're crazy people so why not why not more hockey right doesn't need to be cold out to to enjoy a game so um all right guys it's been a fun show russ thanks for uh for hanging out with us pinch hitting for becky um any final thoughts before we head into the final 34 games of this 2021-22 hockey season run zach jones and Braden schneider as your third pair don't look back don't pet just just keep doing it leave it alone and uh yeah I've, I've said my piece that's the that's the third pair that should stay up through now up until the playoffs leave them alone they looked fantastic last night the i have a homework assignment for us and that is to see how much productivity businesses lose on super bowl monday versus the first two days of the ncaa tournament Ooh, okay because I take those I don't know two how days we're off. Gather and report that data. Well, I'm I'm sure that there's some kind of Google search we could do, but it's a homework assignment. Because I have always taken for the last third. How old am I? Thirty? Going to be thirty-eight. So for the last thirteen years, fourteen years, I have taken off the first two days of the NCAA tournament, and I have sat with three of my friends. Uh, for the last year, it was at my house, but before COVID, we were always at a, a bar somewhere, and. You don't. You can't go to work and like think about this tournament. You just can't do it. So I'm just curious to see what the difference is. Well, Dave, after you file that Freedom of Information Act request and you get all that data, let us know. <laughs> so yeah, basically, this homework, homework assignment is for me. Okay, fair. Self-assigned. Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I earned that one. Fair enough. But, uh, and, and again, Rob, before we close, like, hope, hope you guys are feeling better over there. COVID's no joke, so get better soon. Thank you very much. And I will say before we, we go that um, I no doubt would not be feeling as well as I do, frankly, and knock on wood for that, if I hadn't been double vaccinated, boosted. Both Becky and I are, and uh, obviously our little one is not. She's faring well enough. All, you know, most kids do. Again, we're very lucky, knocking on wood praying for you know conti- that to continue to be the case but um no thank you russ thank you dave you know we, we appreciate it and um we look forward to coming out on the other side of this thing and um you know hopefully getting back to some semblance of normal you know as cases do go down and restrictions start to lift and things like the ncaa tournament happen it should be an exciting spring and summer obviously plenty of hockey ahead as well so thanks as always to everybody for listening thanks for your questions and we will see you all next week